Let's turn together in back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read through verse 25, but we're probably, well, we're only going to get through verse 6 today in the sermon, but you need to hear uh, the story. So remember where we left off. David had been with the Philistines. Probably shouldn't have been with with the enemy. (laughs) But he was running from Saul, who was trying to kill him. So there's maybe some reason why he was there, of course. And he was rejected by the Philistine lords. Uh, He had been fighting with them, not against Israel, but here they are facing, about to face Israel. And David's about to fight with them against his own people, which was interesting. And uh, so they, thankfully, for his sake, told him they said he couldn't go. And now verse 1 of chapter 30. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacking Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite had been taken captive. Then David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the, brought the ephod to David. And so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, and he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary they could not cross the brook Bezor. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of, a piece of, uh, a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man from Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this truth. So when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. 
Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds which they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the word of God and for its power, may the spirit of God accompany the reading and preaching of your word today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, the setting is David and his men had been living in Philistine territory. If you go back to chapter 27, you, you find out his reason for going there, and David had said then in his heart, it says he said in his heart, now I shall perish today by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me that I should uh, speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me and seek uh, me uh, to seek me any more in Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And so David reasoned that this was a good, good thing to do uh, to protect his life. So it doesn't seem here that he's seeking the Lord. You know, David is a man after God's own heart, but David did have lapses. He had times of backsliding. And so uh, he did what was right in his own wise. He depended on his own wisdom, it would appear. And what a thought, though. I mean, that, that he should live among the enemies of God. Of course, Saul was his enemy, but what do you do, right? Uh, later on in chapter 29, though, we see, as we read earlier, uh, how foolish it was for David to become friends of his enemies. He had been going on these raids, uh, helping the Philistine king, Achish. And 1 Samuel 27, 8, it says that they raided the uh, Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Well, and so far, so good, because these were not only the Philistines' enemies, they were God's enemies. They were Israel's enemies. You know how the old saying, you know, the enemy of, uh, of my enemy is, is my friend, or how does that go? But, uh, you know, sometimes the enemy of my enemy, can uh, we can work together, right, to fight against them. Uh, and that must have been his reasoning. But, however, here he's stuck in a rock in a, between a rock and a hard place because they have to go out in battle against Israel, his own people. It's amazing to me that in verse 29, in chapter 29, we, we find that, that David's willing to do that. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine uh, that he really would have. 
But he was kept from that because of the lords of the Philistines wouldn't have it. And so God, in a sense, got him out of that dilemma uh, in, by this means of the, the princes. Uh, King Achish didn't want him to depart because David had really helped him a lot. Uh, and so he says, well, you've got to go. You've got to go. And so they rise the next morning early to head back to Ziklag. Ziklag was just a temporary dwelling place. Uh, he had become the place where his, uh, their wives and children uh, dwelt. And this is where the text picks up. And, um, and so the, the men left to, to go to Ziklag. It was about 60 miles away, so it was a three-day march uh, you know, with all the equipment and everything that they had, uh, 20 miles a day. And surely they were looking forward to finally getting some relief, getting back to their families, having some R&R. But on that third day, you can imagine, as they drew near to Ziklag, they see smoke on the horizon, and they begin to have an uneasy feeling, of course. And when they arrive, they see the city has been burned with fire, and the wives, the sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And so try to, to imagine what it would be like uh, to be David and these men, uh, they, you know, uh, had no idea at first. We, we, the first couple of verses tell us what happened, and then they tell us how David and them uh, discovered. So we kind of find out before David did. But uh, David doesn't really know for sure who did this, uh, and, and he doesn't know for sure if uh, the wives and children are alive or dead. How would you react? Uh, what would your response be? Uh, well, this morning I want us to look at how we should and should not respond to disaster or to tr great trouble uh, when we encounter it. And the first thing we see is that, first of all, there is a time to grieve and to weep uh, over great losses. Verse 4, David and the people with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Tears did not seem a sufficient expression for their sorrow. And yet when a strong man weeps, a burly warrior like Joash, a rough, coarse man like Abishai, or a strong young man like Asahel, there must be deep grief. And so they wept until they had no more power to weep. Uh, to see these rough warriors, soldiers weeping, um, would have been uh, quite a sight. And if we had been part of that group, certainly we would have been weeping as well. They were overwhelmed. Uh, the shock and the grief, they were not expecting this. you know. And this is the way disaster usually happens. It's something that we don't expect to come our way. And at such times uh, that we face such great loss, we're not at fault. We're not wrong to, to weep, to grieve. And yet we must do so as unto the Lord, which at this point is not clear that they're really doing that. Um, but throughout Scripture, we are encouraged uh, to bring our burdens to God, to bring our, our uh, sadness and to cry out to God. Think about what happens in the very first chapter of 1 Samuel. We have Hannah, who is barren, and she desires a son. And this is a very grievous thing to her. And, and it would have been to any woman in that day. 
And so she, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And of course, uh, Eli, the priest, you know, is like, why are you drunk? But God hears her prayer. God does not despise her tears. And he answers her prayer and gives her a son. And that's Samuel, as we know. Uh, So it's right for us to grieve when we lose someone we love. It's right for us to grieve over things that are wrong or difficult in our lives. And yet when we do, as the Bible says, we are not to sorrow as those who have no hope. And so it's appropriate to grieve and to weep. I would say that it's most appropriate to grieve and weep over our sins. That's what the Bible teaches. Sin is the worst of all troubles. Sin is the great disaster. Sin is an offense to God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin makes us ineffective in serving our God. It breaks fellowship with God and with other believers. And so James can write in James chapter 4 in the New Testament, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Uh, Those who are sinning uh, need to mourn. Weep when trouble comes, yes. And weep especially when your own sin has caused it. The good news, as David writes in Psalm 30 in verse 5, is that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus himself had told his disciples, who were very sorrowful as he had told them he would be leaving them, and he says, you're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so take your sorrows to the Lord, and he will turn them into joy. Uh, And he may certainly deliver you from what is causing the sorrow, and he certainly will if it's sin. Um, But moving on, we see, secondly, from our passage, that when we suffer great loss or hardship, we need to avoid uh, the blaming of others for our problems. David had been on on the run from Saul for a long time, for many months, and Saul was trying to kill him. This is no light matter. And, um, and yet, he goes to the Philistines, and that doesn't help. Eventually, he's got, he gets into trouble with them, and the Lord delivers him out of that dilemma. But then things get worse. Things get worse, and you know, the, the, the wives and the children are missing. It's, the town has been burned to the ground, and they're all weeping. They're all grieving. David himself, because his wives and his children... We're also missing. But if things couldn't get worse, uh, uh, they, they certainly did. Uh, you would think things couldn't get worse, but they did. Uh, because then his own men wanted to kill him. They wanted to blame him for what had taken place. And, and so, you know, David, of course, had been with these men. They joined themselves together. Remember the outcasts, the people who, who were probably also on the run from Saul, uh, they joined him and they fought together side by side. They had many victories together. They had bonded. They had uh, become close, certainly. But now they share the bitter cup of disaster and they turn on him. Uh, Walt Chantry's written a, an insightful book titled David, Man of Prayer, Man of War. 
And in that book, he noted that in distress, those who are suffering are all too prone to look for someone to blame. Remember that the next time you're suffering. Uh, you're going to be tempted to try to blame someone. And, and uh, Chantry goes on, he said, leaders are the most visible targets. And so think about the first blaming incident that we find in the scriptures. You know where that is, right? It's in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Eve sinned. She gave the fruit to Adam. He ate. They fell into sin and plunged the whole human race into sin. And so, uh, you know, the greatest trouble, the greatest disaster that ever occurred in the world was the fall of mankind precipitated by Adam and Eve's sin. Particularly Adam, because he was the head, the representative head of the human race. And so when God confronted Adam, what did Adam do? He immediately blamed Eve. You know, the woman, the woman, she gave me to eat. But really, he's blaming God because he says, the woman you gave me. Yes, uh, Chantry was right. Uh, in distress, we look for someone to blame, and it's usually the leader who's the most visible target. But there's no greater leader than God. The ruler of all is the one we really are blaming when we complain and when we, we, we may blame others uh, in our troubles. So uh, thus begins, thus began the victimhood culture. The victimhood culture of today is, is really just because of sin, the sin of Adam and Eve and, and the sin of every human being on earth today. Everyone blames someone else for their problems. Uh, and no one wants to take personal responsibility and admit their faults today. So, so this finger pointing and blaming others. First of all, uh, it will keep a person from seeking salvation because until you blame yourself for your own sin, you will not seek Christ as your Savior. And until you stop blaming others, you're never going to resolve the problems uh, and the difficulties that you face in life. Right? If you want to be a victim, have at it. But you're going you're gonna to be miserable. If you want to trust in God and look to Him in your difficulty, then you're going to find the great joy of the Lord. Uh, and and the forgiveness of sins and and all the other things that God has. So 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 David's men they wanted to blame him for the disaster they faced. David then had to to decide, either he runs from his men or he runs to God. And thankfully he ran to God, and that leads to the last point, which is the longer point today. But thirdly, when we face great hardships or suffer great losses, we should strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So David had reached the end of his rope, the end of his resources, the end of his own strength. And then he determined, he decides to turn back to the Lord. So David had to deal with this great loss. He had to deal with his men, uh, the mutiny. And then, of course, he realizes, ultimately, I've got to deal with God. I need to deal with God, I need to do business with God. And so he realizes in that moment, he's in a situation that is beyond any human resources whatsoever. And he gets on his knees 
And no doubt you've heard this expression. You know, God won't put anything on you that you can't handle. Well, David would beg to differ. Yes, God does put a lot of things on us from time to time that we cannot handle. But when he does, as Scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he does, as we look to him, provide a way out, a a way around, a, a, a way through the trial so that we can stand up, so that we can endure it. And of course, um, as verse 6 tells us, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Another translation says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So here's where the light begins to shine. It's a very dark situation, as as you can see. And so whenever we turn to the Lord in our difficulties... In, in our dark moments, uh, we're going to be encouraged. It, it's when things are the darkest in our lives that the light of God, the light of Christ, uh, shines the brightest. But what does it mean for a person, what does it mean for you and I to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, our God? That's It's interesting because it's something we do, and yet it's something that is also done to us. <clears throat> Now, looking at his circumstances, of course, what does David see? Nothing good. Nothing but doom and gloom. You know, God is amazing because when there's nothing, he brings something out of it. Something good. And you may see nothing. David certainly would have seen nothing good. Um, Here's Peter uh, in a storm. It's... It's a bad situation. They think they're going to die. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter's, oh, this is wonderful. Tell me to come walk out on the water too, Jesus. And he does. But then he, what? Looks, not at Jesus anymore, but he looks around at his circumstances. And he loses hope. He loses faith. And he starts to sink. So when our eyes are on the circumstances of our lives, sometimes they're pretty bad. Um, we're, we're going we're gonna to be miserable. But when we look to the Lord, when we take our eyes off, and when we begin to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God, then things change, our, our, our perspective changes. Circumstances may not change, not immediately, but our perspective changes. Psalm 36, 9 says, In your light we see light. In the light of his word, we have perspective on everything else. So, first of all, to strengthen yourself in the Lord is to build up your faith. In him and in his word. How do we build up our faith? By reading, by hearing, uh, and remembering and, and meditating on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word. Remember back, back in 1 Samuel 23, uh, Jonathan came to David. And at that time it says, And Jonathan strengthened his hand in, the, in God. It's interesting. Jonathan was there to help strengthen him. Sometimes we do, uh, we can utilize our, our Christian fellowship that we have, and, and a brother or sister in Christ can come alongside of us and help us do that. But David didn't have Jonathan in this case. He didn't really have anybody else. It was just him and the Lord, and sometimes that's the way it is. It's just you and, and God. And, but how did Jonathan do that? How did he uh, strengthen David's hand in God? Well, he reminded him of the promise You shall be king over Israel. So he relied on the promise of God. Again, David's alone now with God. 
and no one else to help him. So he had to remind himself of that promise. And he would have taken that promise to God in prayer and pleaded, Lord, you have promised. Uh, will you bring me to the throne? Uh, and, and, and he would have asked God to deliver him from the mutiny of his men. Ask God to deliver uh, the enemies into his hand to recover his losses, to recover his wives and children. And he would have given thanks to the Lord, praying in faith, knowing that as God had done for him in the past, he was able to do for him in the present. Uh, think about a contrast here as well. Remember what happened with Saul in chapter uh, 28, I think it was. Uh, instead of consulting the Lord, what does Saul do? He consults a medium. Saul was at his wit's end. Uh, and and he consults a sorceress instead of the Lord. And the result was only a message of judgment. There's no hope for Saul. There's no hope for us when we turn away from God and to, to other sources, especially uh, those that are wicked. And I don't know what difficult situation you're in right now or what difficulty you may face uh, in the future, uh, but God does. And that's the good news. He sees everything. Uh, the end from the beginning, and he knows exactly what's going on in your mind and in your heart. Uh, he uh, is omniscient. And so uh, uh, not only that, though, remember what Jesus did. He entered into our humanity. He became one of us. He became man. And, and, and so he understands. He's able to sympathize with our plight. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, so how do we encourage ourselves, strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Another thing to think about is, is to do so by waiting on God. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Familiar verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so human wisdom uh, falls short. Human strength will fail. Human intellect will always, always come short. But God's strength and God's wisdom never fails. We change. We grow old. We get foolish. Uh, we get weak. We grow weary. But God is the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. So God is the same almighty God that he always has been. And, and so because he's infinite, uh, we can draw heavily upon him and his resources and never exhaust that infinite supply of strength, of grace, and so on. It's like a, a child having a little cup at the edge of the, the beach, the ocean, you know, and dipping his or her little cup into the water and taking a cup. Uh, for himself will never exhaust the ocean. We can never exhaust the supply of God's strength. But notice that David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. See, it's one thing to, to know that the Lord is God, but it's another thing to say the Lord is my God. You see, this is a covenant thing. David is going back to the covenant and relying upon that, the God of the covenant. 
David knew that the God of Jacob it w- was the refuge of his people. But David could say, the God of Jacob is my refuge. You see, we need to take all of the general statements about God because you and I, by faith in Jesus, are in a covenant relationship with him. Then all those general statements about God can be taken personally and individually for us. The Lord, David would say, the Lord is the shepherd of Israel. But what does he say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. The Bible says that God is infinite, eternal, the unchangeable God. You and I can say the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God is my God. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Can you say He's my Savior? He's Lord of all. Is He? Can you say He's my Lord? You know, there was a danger... Um, under the old covenant, it's the same under the new. There's a danger is to hold the general truths about God without a vital and personal faith in God, making it personal, making it your own. Um, so many rely on outward privileges. So many rely on just being in church. So many rely on I'm a member. I've been baptized. The outward forms. The outward things. Jesus looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Many can affirm Jesus is the Son of God, but we need to be able to say, as Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Very personal. The the Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren uh, notes that David could no longer say, my house, my city, my possessions, they were gone. But when all that was taken away, what he could say was, my God, my God. Can you say that today? That's where the strengthening will begin. When you call upon God, the God of the covenant, the God of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so if you have never personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord, and your Savior, that's where you need to begin. Remember Thomas, who doubted, right? The apostle, the others had seen Jesus, the resurrected Christ, but he wouldn't believe them. He said, unless I see the wounds, unless I put my hand in, into his side. And so Jesus appears to Thomas soon after that. And he says, go ahead and put your hand to, to my side. But what does Thomas do? He doesn't, he doesn't reach out his hand. He simply says, my Lord and my God. You know, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how do we call upon him? Here's an example. And, and you, you use this for yourself if you need it. Or maybe you can uh, encourage others to pray in this way. But you can you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, I know and I thank you that you are the very Son of God. I know that you came into the world. You became Man, to die on the cross and to save sinners. But here's the prayer. Will you save me? Save me from my sins. Become my Savior and be my Lord. You know, people used to talk about, you know, receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, uh, there's some truth to that. It needs to be personal. It needs to be one-on-one where you... 
personally rely on Him to be your Lord, your Savior. And then once you do that, then at any time you can do what David did to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. God is your Savior now in Jesus by the covenant of grace and by faith you are His. You are His child and He is your Heavenly Father. So here's another thought. To strengthen yourself in God is to remember who this God is that you are in covenant with. He is the Almighty God. There's nothing too hard for Him. He is omnipresent that wherever you go, He is with you always. Through thick and thin, even to the very end of the age. He is a long-suffering God, a God of great patience. And He will not give up on those who belong to Him. No matter how far away you, you drift from Him, He will not give up on you. He is a God of abounding grace to sinners. He saves sinners. He forgives sinners. He cleanses us, sanctifies us, and sustains us. And He is the God of, of loving providence. He is making all things work together for your good, even those very difficult and hard things. And He meets our need just when we need that need to be met. And as we'll see, as we already saw reading ahead in this passage, uh, that God providentially brought uh, an Egyptian who was sitting out in the field, who was sick and weak, they, they stumbled on this guy who helped them to find out who had done this to their families and where they might, might be found. Our God also, let me conclude with this thought, our God is a holy, righteous, and just God. And we can strengthen ourselves by meditating on this thought. God is righteous, first of all, as 1 John 1, 9 says, He's righteous and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But He's also righteous and just to repay His enemies and give them what they deserve. Deuteronomy 32, 41 tells you something about your God. God says, As I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. And we pray for anyone and everyone that they might come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. But you know, our nation today is unraveling before us. We're in the midst of a great disaster of immorality and wickedness. We're witnessing the destruction. Uh, if we could ever say we're witnessing the destruction of the, of the family as God's designed it. And uh, we see the perversion of of male and female as God has created us. And this malevolent, evil thirst for the blood of the unborn. Have you seen the protesters and the evil that spews out of their mouth and how they love death and they want more of it? It's satanic, it's demonic, it's evil. But our God is a just God. You see, He will render judgment and vengeance, take vengeance on his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and don't repent of their sins. God took vengeance on the Amalekites as well as the Philistines and the Canaanites. And our God does not change. I heard just this week about someone that I, that I know I haven't seen in a while. And this other person was telling me that they had a conversation with this person recently. And this person who used to be a strong Christian 
said, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, well, he was, that was a mean God. That's, that's, he was, you know, a mean God, but the God of the New Testament, I guess, is different. Another man wrote to me in an email and said, well, I'm more of a New Testament guy. But you know God hasn't changed. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. And uh, we saw in the New Testament that he takes vengeance. He, 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 he disciplines his church. Ananias and Sapphira were both killed because of their sin. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, We know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that the Lord will judge his people. Concluding with this thought, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God hasn't changed. He's a vengeful, holy, just, and righteous God. So this God is your defender if you know Jesus. Is your world falling apart? Strengthen yourselves in the Lord your God. Is our nation coming apart at the seams? Now is the time for all believers to strengthen themselves in the Lord their God because we cannot fight this battle, it's a, it's a battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of wickedness in high places. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. May the spirit of God fill us and empower us to take action and to speak boldly for our Lord. You know, perhaps God has brought us to this low place, this place of realizing there's nothing we can do. Uh, Maybe he's brought us to this low place so that we would humble ourselves and then he will lift us up. So we need to strengthen ourselves and the Lord our God. God is able to bring light out of darkness, peace out of trouble, good out of evil. He's able to do that because he's God. He's the Lord. He's the mighty God. Let's pray.